The Putin-Prigozhin power struggle. How it played out in Russia. What comes next? The Saudi Arabian mega-project in the desert. The PR company selling it to the world. Plus, Indians have 400 TV news channels. So why are journalists flocking to YouTube to inform people? Hello, I'm Richard Gisbert, and you're at The Listening Post, where we provide explanatory journalism about journalism. Last weekend, as militia forces were bearing down on Moscow, Russians were temporarily transfixed, terrified, at the prospect of a civil war. The world was watching, too, as Yevgeny Prigozhin made his play for power. The leader of the notorious mercenary group Wagner was a key ally of Vladimir Putin, but turned critical of the president and the Russian military's failings in Ukraine. Within 24 hours, things suddenly de-escalated. Prigozhin abandoned his mutiny and is now exiled in Belarus. State-controlled media coming out of Moscow initially did not know what to make of it all. Having long lauded Prigozhin as a war hero, they went quiet for a time, but are now back to their all-out defense of Putin. A different kind of discussion is taking place on social media, however, where Russians will find a diversity of opinion that has long been absent in their mainstream news media. And analysts have been deciphering exactly what happened. What is next for Russian politics and the war in Ukraine? When it comes to information on the conflict in Ukraine, Russia is in an undeclared state of civil war being fought on dual fronts. There's the conventional ground, favored by the aging Russian president, where photo ops and ceremonies are deployed and disseminated through mainstream channels under the Kremlin's control. And what we saw on Friday and Saturday was major figures putting out the consistent message, remain calm. And remain calm is not a message that you use unless there is something to panic about. And guess what the reaction was on Russian social media? Anything but calm. That is the other informational battleground, social media, primarily Telegram, the messaging app where Yevgeny Prigozhin has more than a million followers. And there are many other Russians like him there critical of the war in Ukraine, just not in the way you might think. These are essentially people who uh, do not oppose the war, but they oppose the way uh, the Russian Defense Ministry are waging this war. And they basically uh, want this war to be more brutal and more uh, massive than it is uh, now. That's the conflict primarily going uh, on Telegram channels. The challenge for mainstream media outlets that take their orders from the Kremlin came last Friday, when Prigozhin put his troops on the road to Moscow. News was breaking far too quickly for those orders to arrive. Russian news channels were accustomed to sacralizing Prigozhin and Wagner his mercenary army of 25,000 soldiers for the role they have played in the ground war in Ukraine. They knew that Prigozhin and Vladimir Putin go way back, that the Kremlin funds Wagner 
So when Prigozhin turned his forces to the north, the propagandists initially did not know how to cover the story. And those young Russians on social media, fist-bumping Prigozhin and his troops, contributed to the Russian media's temporary state of confusion. The Russian state media was absolutely caught off guard by this, with certain major Russian figures, commentators not giving any comment on it at all. Margarita Simonyan, the head of uh, RT, Russia Today, made no comments whatsoever the entire day and only turned up on Sunday and claimed, you know, she'd be on a river cruise on the Volga. That just speaks to both how paralyzed people were and how uncertain they were of the outcome. And, and also to the lack of sort of marching orders from above. We didn't actually see anyone come out and take Prigozhin's side publicly. The really recognizable propagandists, they kind of held back um, to wait and see how this was going to play out. Putin was initially kind of missing in action um, until around 10 a.m. Moscow time on Saturday when he came out and gave a very angry statement. Saying that it was an uprising of this kind that caused Russia to lose World War I. And very quickly after that, you saw sort of Russian state media come into a narrative that they could use, and now they're very much taking their, their cues from him. Once again, he is trying to reassert control of the narrative, giving awards to the soldiers that defended Moscow in a classic Putinist medal ritual kind of ceremony. There is nothing Putin loves more than a ritual military ceremony. Coming out, telling the military, the country is united, we're behind you. So that's what he did. He's reverting to type. Yevgeny Prigozhin has been sidelined, if not silenced. But there are plenty more voices on Telegram echoing his criticisms of the Russian generals prosecuting this war. Early in the fighting, military bloggers started popping up on the messaging app, embedded with Russian troops, offering up-close coverage, some hawkish views, and eventually stinging critiques of the Russian military. As long as they do not criticize the president, the Kremlin tolerates their work and appears to value it. Last month, Putin met with a group of them. In some ways, military bloggers are, to the Russian media, what Prigozhin's forces were to the Red Army. They supplement the work of the official institution without being constrained by the conventional rules of engagement. In their case, journalistic ones. The main platform for all uh, pluralistic uh, discussions in Russia is now Telegram. And there is this whole phenomenon of military bloggers, and quite a few of them affiliated specifically with Prigozhin. People you can call uh, propagandists, uh, but uh, they are also important uh, reporters, critical about the way the, the war was conducted by the defense ministry. And they, they continue to be critical after the mutiny. Some of them even doubled down on demanding that members of the top brass be forced to resign, that this mutiny uh, happened as a result of their incompetence. Their influence in Russia is very hard to measure. Some of them have tens of thousands of followers, some of them have more than a million. And like Prigozhin, they've been able to build their audiences by showing a much kind of grittier on the ground side of the war that than you would see on state television. And what's really interesting actually is 
the influence they have in Western media. They have access to the Russian front line, which is somewhere where Western reporters can't go. And they put out videos and images, and a lot of these get picked up by reporters in the West. You know, there's a number of very popular channels out there on the side of Prigozhin. And of these, you know, a number of them were very angry when he called off his march on Moscow. I mean, in terms of, you know, the number of uh, emoji reactions you can do on Telegram, the, by far the top one was uh, the clown reaction. These guys were saying, we thought we were fighting for justice and for the average Russian soldier, and we thought you were going to be the guy to do it, but now we see that you're just uh, as big of a clown as anyone else. Taking all of this in with more than a touch of enjoyment were Western media outlets. Some of the headlines on Vladimir Putin's predicament were downright giddy, should they have been. The prospect, however unlikely, of Putin being toppled is one thing. His possible replacement, however, by a Prigozhin or someone like him, calling for everything in Ukraine from an escalation to annihilation, panicked Russians looking for a way out of the conflict before it gets worse. And the reality is that Vladimir Putin could emerge from this showdown more powerful than ever. From the Western point of view, Putin looks weaker, Putin looks uh, humiliated. Uh, it's a bit different uh, if you look at it from the Russian vantage point. What's important for Russians is that what looked for 24 hours like a civil war starting in Russia, that didn't happen because the main thing for Russians supporting Putin is that they don't want a civil war and uh, this is uh, what Putin has been manipulating for for many years. Now he's going to manipulate these uh, sentiments uh, successfully in, in future. One of the problems in Russia right now is that independent media has been totally decimated and what analysts are doing is they're picking up kind of these piecemeal bits of footage and um, trying to extrapolate based on that, right? Like there was a certain number of people who did go into downtown Rostov and shake hands with Wagner Group fighters. But at the same time, you know, the train station was full, people were trying to get out of town. And so a few guys downtown shaking Prigozhin's hand, it's hard to sort of extrapolate the degree of support that shows for a figure like him. Um, but his Telegram channel has more than a million subscribers. I mean, a lot of those are probably Western journalists wondering what the hell is going on. We don't know what's going to happen in the coming weeks and months. But I suspect the media apparatus as it is will pretty much roll on unchallenged. The media is good at learning lessons. They know the narratives that work. They will learn from this experience. They will figure out what worked best, what persuaded audiences, and if anything similar looks like it's going to happen in the future, they will roll out that playbook. They will use it and they will keep marching forward because that is their way. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has been hyping his Saudi mega project in the desert called Neom. Tarek Nafa is here with more on the kingdom's PR push. Richard, Neom is a region in northwest Saudi Arabia, the site of a $500 billion development project. At its heart, a megacity called The Line, running 100 miles straight and just 200 meters wide. The idea is to house 9 million people. The Line was profiled this week in a glossy documentary that aired on Discovery. Northwest of Saudi Arabia, untouched, 
almost empty. It have mix of topography, mountains, valleys, oases, dunes, beaches, islands, corals, from skiing till diving. That's the place. That's the Crown Prince and Chairman of NEO, Mohammed bin Salman, talking up the region's natural beauty and a project he calls a civilizational revolution. I have a friend who moved to, he's an American friend, who moved to Miami. In Miami, when you get out from your office, immediately you're next to entertainment, culture, sport, retails. So each day it has to be excitement to finish your work and go and enjoy it in New York. So we are competing with Miami in that area. Neom is designed to be a car-free city, run entirely on renewable energy, a place that prioritises people's well-being. But there is a dystopian feel to some of the promotional material. And beyond the feasibility of such a gargantuan project, whether it can ever prove sustainable, is the warning from rights groups that projects like this help rehabilitate the Crown Prince's sullied image, whitewashing the way he deals with his critics at home and abroad. Which is why the Saudis have hired the world's largest PR firm, Edelman, to handle the messaging. Neom recently invited international photographers to explore the region and tell their own stories. This place is a dream come true for all of us. Inspiring stuff, pretty pictures, but with Mohammed bin Salman's Saudi Arabia, there tends to be more than meets the eye. Thanks, Tarek. There is no media landscape anywhere quite like India's. It has almost 400 television news channels broadcasting in 20 languages. Indians are also YouTube's biggest audience and its fastest growing one. The platform has become a vital source for news. Digital media startups, Gen Z content creators, media savvy activists from underreported regions are all doing their thing there. And some well-known Indian journalists have abandoned primetime television slots in favor of YouTube. They have more freedom online to report on politics and social issues, at least for now. The specter of censorship is growing under a government that clamps down on news coverage it does not like. The Listening Post's Minakshi Ravi now on India's YouTube boom and why so many people are relying on it for news despite some of the misinformation that's thriving there. Namaskar, dosto. Hal hi mein hui Indian presidential elections ke baad ab Draupadi Murmu banengi India ki nayi president. Dhruv Rathi is a big name in the Indian YouTube space. He isn't based in India. He's actually in Europe. But his channel, in which he posts explainers on news, geopolitics, history, technology, is at the top of a growing list of Indian news and current affairs YouTubers. With more than 11 million subscribers, it has a bigger audience than some established TV news channels have online. For Rathi, YouTube is where it's at. There were multiple reasons why I started my YouTube channel. One is that I'm genuinely interested in making educational videos in a simplified format which is not available anywhere else on the internet. My choice of content was based on what I felt was lacking in the Indian mainstream media. There was a big empty space there waiting to be filled in. Rathi was an early adopter. There are many more YouTubers now in India's news, current affairs and edutainment space. There's Abhi and Niyu, a high-octane couple who started as travel vloggers and now have nearly 5 million subscribers watching their newsy videos. 
ये 2004 के बाद होने वाला सबसे डेंजरस ट्रेन एक्सीडेंट था एंड आई एम श्योर देन देर इज संदीश भाटिया बिनी वेरी लेड बैक समाइम्स क्राफी लुक इज एन इंटरव्यूअर हु मैनेजेस टू स्नैग एवरी वन How does this make you feel? Like personally, I, I really want like a genuine answer. How does this make you feel? He speaks with high-profile politicians, like the leader of India's biggest opposition party, to A-list actors. उसका प्रोसेस कैसा रहता है? वो वो you are playing to the gallery. There's also a whole raft of journalists who've checked out of mainstream news. Many of them say journalism on India's airwaves has become seriously compromised. mainstream media i worked for almost 15 years there were a few stories which i really wanted to do while being there but i could not there were certain topics certain people they didn't want to touch i just felt so suffocated that's the time when i thought that i should just quit and when i look at television news debates today i just thank my stars that thank god i took that decision mainstream television news in india is pretty much failing people when it comes to catering to public interest if you just look at last month we had the inauguration of a brand new parliament building and there was wall to wall television news coverage on what the prime minister was doing saying how this moment was a great moment of pride for us ye pal bhi behad khoobsurat hai bilkul aur aap dekhenge ki pradhan mantri ek vishesh prakar ki shalinata dikha rahe hain that very same day there was a protest very close to the parliament by female olympic medal winning wrestlers who accused the chief of india's wrestling federation of years of sexual harassment and it so happens that this man is an mp from the governing bjp but there was near total blackout on television about these women and the protest that was happening simultaneously at that point you had a lot of youtube creators who did explainers on the issue who highlighted the protest even we did one video at news laundry Restless finally decide to march to parliament they are roughed up detained India's YouTube revolution was propelled forward by two transformative events most recently there was the lockdown during the covid pandemic and four years before that a mobile data bonanza in 2016 jio will give the power of data to each indian to fulfill every dream In September 2016, one of India's most prominent industrialists, Mukesh Ambani, launched a new mobile service, Jio. It was a sensation. Users were offered 4 gigabytes of data free per day. Within 6 months, India was the top mobile data user in the world. 1 billion gigabytes of data per month compared to just 200 million pre-Jio. Then in 2020 when COVID struck and the country was in lockdown, video streaming got a boost. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Hotstar all saw the benefits and so did YouTube. In the past year, two reports, one by a New Delhi based think tank, the CSDS, and another by the Oxford based Reuters Institute, have documented a steady increase in the number of Indians turning to YouTube for their news. So many that the government of India has begun to pay attention. Piyush Goyal sir, how are you? Top of the world. I'm very excited about this particular conversation. This past month, one of the country's biggest YouTube and podcast creators, Ranveer Alabadia, filmed a series of interviews with members of the government. It's one of the first campaigns organized by New Delhi with a YouTuber, a clear play for a younger audience and younger voters. You're speaking to not just me, but like probably the whole youth of the country that's listening okay. to this. There is another reason why the government would be advised to pay attention to YouTube. misinformation 
so fake news and hate speech are huge problems on youtube you have people sometimes pretending to be journalists and these guys do insane amount of damage uh, they'll for example go to a predominantly muslim area and say that all these people here aren't indian they are illegal refugees they are here from bangladesh and what we've seen is that youtube and any other social media companies really are very slow at pulling down these videos often they've already gone viral before any final action is taken Now of late we've seen the government wanting to regulate the digital space more the question is how much of the regulation will be genuinely about uh, reacting to content that is misinforming people or spreading hate and how much of it might be politically motivated monetary the very real possibility of political intimidation or legal threats are a second order problem for many indian youtubers the first thing most of them need to work out is how to earn a living through their content ads the ones you see before after and sometimes during videos are a prime money maker youtube gives creators a sliver of ad money for each ad view if your videos are really popular though then you can go further corporate sponsorships special subscriber packages and options for direct donations from your viewers i'm not funded by any state governments i'm not funded by any company it's just the ads that are being played in between my videos but people do realize that i do need some kind of support because you know you have your staff you have uh, you have to go and cover elections you have to spend a lot of money i have certain subscribers they are paying something which is equivalent to a netflix subscription monthly beautiful jodi ke liye zordar taaliyan in a media landscape inundated with film celebrities increasingly commercialized cricket and shouting matches on tv masquerading as nuanced discussion the rise of the indian current affairs youtuber is remarkable बढ़िया एग्जाम्पल है हाफ ट्रूथ का लास्ट मंथ ध्रुव राठी पोस्टेड अ वीडियो दैट सेट समथिंग ऑफ अ रिकॉर्ड जस्ट मोर देन अ मंथ सिंस गोइंग ऑनलाइन इट इज रैक्ड अप 17 मिलियन व्यूज इट वाज अबाउट अ फिल्म दैट क्लेम टू टेल अ ट्रू स्टोरी अबाउट वुमेन इन इंडियाज सदर्न स्टेट ऑफ केरला अ फिल्म दैट वाज वाइडली क्रिटिकड फॉर स्कैमंगरिंग एंड इस्लामोफोबिया द होल मूवी वाज ट्राइंग टू प्रोजेक्टेड एज सम काइंड ऑफ कंस्पिरेसी हैपनिंग इन द स्टेट ऑफ केरला दैट women from kerala are constantly converted and are made to join the isis and they're going to join the isis so all that i said in my video was that whatever was said in the movie is not factually accurate this is the real data and this is the wrongful fact that the movie has been alleging puri ki puri propaganda filme banayi ja rahi hai logo ko behkane ke liye later i think a few days after the release of my video the supreme court of india actually said that the movie should now run a disclaimer that this is a fictionalized version of the event and this is not actually what happened the fact that so many indians are taking their information from youtube tells you that there is a serious problem with the mainstream media in india what the news channels are showing you there is a big big thing that is lacking in there and that's why people are going over to alternative sources and trying to get their info from there and finally beijing and the art of repressing dissidents far beyond china's borders earlier this month the chinese embassy in warsaw tried to block the opening of an exhibition by a well-known political cartoonist and human rights activist badu chao A Chinese diplomat visited the site in the Polish capital, threatened its director, and said that the planned exhibition hurts the feelings of the Chinese people. 
Badu Chow knows these tactics well. Beijing's diplomats in Prague and Rome have already tried to shut down his shows. The state has also suppressed subversive art by a husband and wife duo, Lumli Lumlong, as well as a Hong Kong cartoonist, Va Wangseer. We'll leave you now at the intersection of art and politics, red lines that Beijing does not want anyone to cross. We'll see you next time here at The Listening Post.